Welcome to Outspoken, where we dive deep into the topics and intersection of technology, money, business, and passion. I'm your host, Shana Cosgrove. I haven't met a bad person, knock on wood, yet on the golf course. I've always had great experiences, and at the end of the day, they're like, hey, I'm going to introduce you to my friend. They've been having problems with their IT, and you know, next thing you know, you have a new client. If somebody tells me, oh, no, you can't get that done, that's all the more fuel I need to go get it done. I really push toward whatever I want and whatever it is. It really works out. I go out sometimes with my team, and they were coming back and telling me a story yesterday that they drove like 45 minutes just to plug in the power cable, and I was like, I'm sorry. This podcast is sponsored by Nyla Technology Solutions, an SBA-certified 8A, hub-zone, woman-owned small business specializing in full-stack software engineering and data science services to the U.S. government. Our innovative solutions are built to match the speed of mission. For more information, partnering opportunities, and new job openings, please visit our website, www.nyla.io. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. For those of you listening, this is the second time we've done this. We actually, despite both of us being in IT, none of Roy's audio got connected. Do you think maybe your wife like turned off the internet for the kids? Like, do you think that's maybe what happened? No, because I saw you the whole time. I have been having problems with my router. I switched it out the other day. The router and firewall was acting crazy, so I got it done. <laughs> On my two weeks off of school, I had to reconfigure everything and all of that. So you let your family pick out a laptop for you? That seems like a really personal... That's like almost as personal as a car. They bought you a laptop? Yeah, she just took the specs from my other laptop and put oh, it on. Oh, oh, yeah. okay. What is the computer? Microsoft Surface. You liking it? Yes, I, I, I love mine. All the accessories and everything. What are the accessories? Ergonomic mouse that's wireless. And then they have like uh, the pen. So I don't really, I can just sign stuff on the fly. Of course, my mic and stuff that came, you know, that I got with it and things like that. So everything is good outside of the Office 365 that I'm having issues with because I'm trying to merge uh, independent softwares and things like that. And the Outlook client isn't allowing me to have two email addresses connected. I have no problems with Google. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I know, man. I think I'm one of the few people in the company that actually has the Google Drive on my laptop, too. And I consider that part of my backup strategy is having our entire Google Drive on my laptop. But solidly Google. Although I feel like someone saved my life. Like when I was starting my business, I was still in the very beginning using GoDaddy email. Can you believe that? I know. Then someone's like, yeah, you can use Google suite for your company. Otherwise I'd be right in the Microsoft wave, but I'm an Apple and we're on the Google suite. You're all in on Microsoft. Yeah. I'm a part of the cult. So (laughs) while you're pushing it. You're a dealer. (laughs) So this is the second time we've recorded this and it is 6.51 in the morning. What time do you normally wake up, Roy? About 3.15. Whoa, 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 whoa. So you got your workout in today still? No, I I didn't work out this morning, but I was up looking at a proposal. What's your normal schedule? I still get up at 3.15 and go to the gym, but I have to be on Chantilly after we get off this call. So there was no sense of me going to the gym and trying to make this call. It would have been a very busy morning. How many days a week are you at the gym? Three to four. You hit the gym at what time? I usually get there about 3.45. I got some workout partners that are always on time. So between 3.45 and 4, I'm uh, starting my workout. And how long is your workout? I usually get out of there about five forty five, six o'clock. Oh, it's long. Yeah, well if I do cardio, um, I usually do a lot of cardio. Once you turn forty, you know, everything you eat shows up. <laughs> <laughs> are you in spin classes at the gym? What are you doing? 
No, I actually run the stairs. I'll jump rope. I'll do the elliptical. It just depends on how I feel that day. Now, how long in your life have you been this intense about your working out? Really intense, uh, probably about two years, but I have been going to the gym, we'll say, going to the gym for about four or five. Oh, that's it. So it's new. How did this come about? Because that's intense, right? Like, that's not just like, oh, I go to the gym. This is a real lifestyle commitment. Yeah, because I kept trying to do it after work and that doesn't work out. Running to different challenges, being a entrepreneur in the afternoons. And it would always like make my workout sporadic. Like I might go four one day, eight one day. And I said, you know what? I'll just get up early and go. That way I don't have to worry about any of that getting in my way. Emails, phone calls, interrupting your workout. That's my time. And what was your initial time? Normal people go at like 6 a.m. Maybe that's an early gym time. So where did this meeting people at 345 in the morning? Right after COVID. I mean, I think when they opened the gym back up, we started going really early because we noticed there wasn't a lot of people in there. And so we started going extremely early and we have moved it earlier because there's more people coming back to the gym and a couple of people are germaphobes. So they don't want to be in there with a lot of people. We moved it back to like 315. Uh, everybody gets up. Everybody's texting each other at the same time and walking out the door. How do you find these people? We just started working out together. We were working out together before COVID uh, even hit. Like, I think it was January, February. We just all started working out together outside. And it was kind of cool that day. And we just kept it going and just kept talking. And then we made a WhatsApp uh, group or whatever. And, you know, we go back and forth from it. Now, do you remember how we met? Yeah, we had an opportunity that we were going to be working on together. We went out to the spot over at Arundel Preserve, I believe, and we sat down and chat about the opportunity and went from there and we keep running into each other. (laughs) Well, we ran into each other in Vegas. I was invited to a conference in Vegas and it was all expenses paid. Well, first they were clear. They were like, we need more women. So (laughs) they were like, uh, we're specifically reaching out to you because we need more women. And I was like, do you want me to be a speaker? And they were like, what? No, just come. So can you explain for the audience what this conference was? Yeah, I'm actually going back in uh, August, but I'm going to San Antonio. I'm one of the speakers at the Web Group Security Conference on that Sunday. It's called uh, Channel Events. It's uh, basically uh, channel partnerships with the large and major vendors like the apps or hardware software vendors all come together and they pay to give the speech to small businesses to be their channel partners. And they give like large incentives from, you know, the typical three to 10 percent. It's now multiplied. It could be 20 to 30 percent that, you know, you get marked off of uh, their products so that you can sell it back to their customers. I signed up with, I believe, PAX 8 and a couple others because we have an SMB side of the house, which is a managed service offering that we give to small businesses. And what's the conference like? It's just days of different product companies trying to sell you on selling their product. Yeah. And they give you the speech, the, you know, 10 to 15 minute speech. And they all come in the room and tell you about their new product, their latest and greatest. How many of these do you go to a year? I used to go to like two to three a year. They're talking to me about being on the board now. So I have a meeting the Wednesday before I leave that morning about being a part of the board and things like that and facilitating those meetings that you were sitting in on. Are you looking for more from your career than just a paycheck? At Nyla, we offer that and so much more. Join us for a career where your growth is our priority, with generous pay, unbeatable benefits, and a supportive environment that cheers on your every achievement. We're scouting for top-tier data scientists, software engineers ready for something bigger. Ready to be a part of a company that cares about where you're going? We're ready for you. Check us out at nylatechnologysolutions.com or drop us a line at hello at nyla.io. 
does anyone in your family golf as much as you? Are you getting the boys into it? My son really wants to get into it. My daughter says she did, but she's then turned into a girly girl with the nails and stuff like that. So she doesn't want to do anything that uh, isn't outside of looking at TikTok and that Asian boy group that they have out there. <laughs> she is like crazy. Is it BTS or something? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I just helped her put up like uh, about 40 posters in her room. <laughs> How did you come to pick such an expensive sport as your hobby? My knees got bad, uh, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, oh, I you was, decided uh, it's an old man sport? Yeah, no, <laughs> it's not an old man sport, but it was like a little less on my knees compared to like basketball. That was my heart. Um, I did play that up until 2019 as well. You know, I was 39 and coming home and putting ice on your knees and soaking in Epsom salt, you know, I mean, this wasn't for me anymore. So I said, I get, you know, I'll sit out there and shoot jump shots with you, but I ain't getting ready to run up and down no court no more. So you went all into golf, not yeah. just casual. I got the bug really bad. Yeah. I got about three different sets of friends, but it has been a conduit for a lot of progression. And it's put me in a lot of different places that I wouldn't never thought I would have been in. I went to the master's. But in 2018, I was supposed to go back in 2020. Uh, of course, COVID stopped that. But, um, you know, once I got to see that professionals make the same mistakes I do, oh, I was all in. <laughs> Has it been good for business? We're in IT. Like how many IT people, software people are into golfing? It's a lot, but it's a lot of business owners. So it's really helped the diverse concepts. I, you know, I get out and you get four hours with a stranger you never met. And their network becomes yours because at the end, you have some type of bond. Doesn't mean that it has to be a great bond, especially if you're out there lying about how many strokes you've used. But, <laughs> but it, it, it becomes a bond and you get to meet people that I, I haven't met a bad person, knock on wood, yet on the golf course. I've always had great experiences. And at the end of the day, they're like, hey, I'm going to introduce you to my friend. They've been having problems with their IT. And, you know, next thing you know, you have a new client. So how many days a week are you golfing? Once or twice a week. It, it depends. Like I usually do Sunday afternoons. I'll get out with a couple friends. But, you know, sometimes during the week, I'll play in like one of the golf tournaments, a charity golf tournament or whatever. As a country club life in your future? Um, yeah, we've been talking about it, but uh, <laughs> my wife is like, we can wait until I retire. Does she know that you're never really going to retire? <laughs> <laughs> you're retiring is just going to be something else. <laughs> yeah, she just, wow. It's just sometimes I don't know how she puts up with me at times. A lot of the things that I try to do and things like that. I'm headstrong. So if somebody tells me, oh, no, you can't get that done, that's all the more fuel I need to go get it done. I really push toward whatever I want and whatever it is. It really works out. She's dedicated and a hard worker to, you know, her degree on her side and, you know, in real estate. So she's killing it over there. So she does it for her daytime job and for personally. So she does it for uh, a nonprofit during the day, which she runs like practically the whole East Coast market for her company. She has, I think, probably like 200 realtors under her. So you guys are a little power couple. Yeah, we try to, especially uh, when we were both being teachers and entrepreneurs. When were you a teacher? Oh, well, all through COVID. I mean, our kid was right here in the house. So. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. The homeschooling. Where did you begin? Because now you're CEO of a software company that is in the intelligence community and provides managed service plans. Mm -hmm. And what is that? Basically, you have someone else managing some type of service that you provide because they've taken it away from just being IT now. And it could be anything from the janitorial services. You know, they have many service plans now, you know, as far as the lingo for it. It's basically coming in and actually outsourcing, you know, we're the outsource company to do your IT support or cyber support, whatever you want to call it at that point. So you guys are the people we call, and then you're like, have you tried rebooting it? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Uh, have you tried rebooting it? 
I go out sometimes with my team and they were coming back and telling me a story yesterday that they drove like 45 minutes just to plug in the power cable. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, they told us everything wasn't working well and things like that. And they get out there and they just plug the power cable back in. So. <laughs> Where did you grow up? I grew up in a little small town in Kentucky called Winchester, Winchester and Lexington. My mom was from Winchester. My father was from Lexington. I would split time between both, spending time with my grandmothers and things like that growing up. I did move to Florida for a little while with my mother and ended up coming back to Winchester. We moved to Jacksonville when I was probably about six or seven. I only stayed down there for a couple of years and came back. What was your childhood like? (laughs) Uh, You know, it, it had its trauma. I think drugs was really impactful on what I had to deal with parenting, but um, my aunts and uh, uncles and grandmothers kind of filled the void. My grandfathers as well, they kind of filled the void for what I didn't get and things like that in certain cases. Um, I did have a lot of trauma. I dealt with a lot of things, but I can't say I persevered. a lot of my drive is based upon not having to go back or not wanting to go back to dealing with that and protecting my kids from dealing with whatever I dealt with. How did you end up being interested in computers and IT? Where did that come about? My father and grandfather were mechanics. You know, they worked on cars, so they used to give me a lot of things just to work on, take apart, put together. My grandfather had an old junkyard and somebody brought in a word processor. I probably had to be about 15, 16 years old. And I, you know, started taking it apart. And he was like, man, that thing isn't going to work at all, whatever. And, uh, you know, uh, you might as well trash it. And I needed something to do. So I started taking it apart, putting it together. I kind of played with it down there. And we got it working. It cut on and had the little DOS prompt and things like that. It was an Apple. I forgot what version it was or whatever. But, you know, I was just playing with it. It's like a fancy typewriter, right? For all the young people who have no idea what this is. (laughs) Not everyone had a computer at this time. That was more rare. And you were still turning in assignments by paper. But some fancy people had these fancy typewriters. Yeah, I used to actually, um, because I played on the basketball team and things like that, a couple of my teachers uh, would allow me to stay after school and um, use their their word processors to type my portfolio and things like that, like my writing assignments. And I had one assignment that I actually, you know, it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I just wanted to be an entrepreneur, a businessman. I wanted to run my own business and things like that. So you knew that at a young age? Yes, yes. I actually had, uh, I used to take the washing machine box. She made me get rid of it after like two years, but I had set up my room where it was kind of like an office space. And I had crates, you know, milk crates under the washing machine box to kind of keep it propped up so that I could write on it. And, you know, I had like the phone and I had like a little radio on there so that when people call, I would put my make up my own voicemail. Well, I didn't know anything about Star 69 at the time. And I actually called my aunt and hung up, but, you know, I uh, told her they didn't know who I was calling back or whatever. So she called back <laughs> and I put it on my voicemail and she was like, what the hell is this? She just starts cussing me out. <laughs> like, you know, and it was fun, but it was one of those things that, you know, I kind of say that I always wanted to do. I always tried to pull people together in other ways to make money. Um, we would have like little parties or we would sell. I had one cousin that could draw really well. So uh, we were selling his drawings of Bart Simpson. I would go out and sell it and things like that to people and for a dollar a piece. And people were hanging them up on their walls and all that stuff. Saying so some lingo that was probably, you know, cool at the time or whatever. And Cowabunga! <laughs> yeah, all of that. You know, all of that. But he could draw like no other, man. And That was one of the things, you know, we used to keep money in our pocket doing, cutting grass and things like that. So I always had some type of business going that I could keep myself in line. And then I think it was after the regional tournament or we lost in the uh, state championship, whatever. We we lost the game and we were on our way back. And 
a lot of the underclassmen started teasing me about, well, what are you going to do, Roy? You know, this, that, and another, because I never really voiced my plans or what I was wanted to do and things like that. And I said, well, one day I'm going to own my own business. And everybody just busted out laughing, even the coaches and, and all of that. And so that's been my fuel for years, you know, to kind of really push me toward business and entrepreneurship and things like that. I was like, oh, they want to laugh, you know, uh, let's see who has the last laugh. So this is like burned in your memory. Yes. Every time I don't want to get up, every time I, you know, I want to give in between my kids and hearing that laughter, I, it makes me push through or persevere whatever I'm doing. How did you know what entrepreneurship was? Where did you see images and think that this was a life that you wanted? I had never heard of this at all. So how did you know what business ownership was? My grandfather owned a business. He owned a junkyard down in Wilmore, Kentucky, very, very small town. It was called White's Garage, so it was a junkyard. And I, I just sat around and watched him a lot of times. And, you know, I got to go on trips with him, you know, when he would go uh, meet with certain people or go work on certain things. And I just kind of picked it up, you know, along the way. And, you know, my grandmother had her own thing where she was baking hams and stuff like that. And people would travel from all around just to get her ham. On what? Christmas, yeah, on Christmas, she would make like at least 20, 30 hams. I think one year she even did it for the governor. What? Of the state. Yeah. Is she still alive? No, unfortunately she's not. But uh, they did teach my wife a lot of the ins and outs of the things that I love to eat. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they indoctrinated her. Now, yeah. you end up going into the Air Force, uh-huh. which is kind of the opposite of entrepreneurship. Why did you decide to go into the Air Force? To be honest, I had got in some trouble with not really the law, but I had got in some trouble and lost my scholarship to Austin P University. You know, I needed something, but I wasn't going to stay in Kentucky. So I, uh, you know, went to a recruiter and my homeboy dropped me off on uh, four days after my 19th birthday. And I left, went to basic training and had, you know, a great career. I started out in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, where I work for my first supervisor, which is Nate Turner. He was like a master sergeant, but now he's like a chief, but everybody loves this guy. I mean, he's awesome. One of the best experiences I've probably had, you know, outside of working at the Pentagon. I joined the Air Force shortly after my birthday. I'm like literally four days. My uh, date of enlistment is October 5th. My birthday's the first. We went out, had dinner, and, uh, you know, I didn't even tell nobody I was leaving. I joined and uh, did eight years. Did you, like, leave a note on the table? <laughs> no, just didn't say anything. Just rolled out. You know, I was kind of mad at the world at that point, but mad at myself more importantly. But I had to do something to make it right for myself. And staying there wasn't for me. What was the scholarship that you had? It was an athletic scholarship. I was going to get a chance to walk on and try to play basketball for them after my first year. But, you know, I had to sit out one year or whatever. Uh, it was a cool deal that one of my uh, coaches that I used to play, I guess it would say AAU. My parents would never let me go on the trips or whatever. But um, the only time I got to go on trips was like basketball season. He helped me get the scholarship and things like that. And, you know, went from there. He made a couple phone calls and I got the letter in the mail. What did you think when you lost your scholarship? The world was coming to an end. Typical teenager, you know, I'm dramatic. I was kind of mad at myself. Uh, so I picked up a couple jobs. One was I was working in the tobacco fields, um, and the other one was working at this, uh, this plant called McCamage. It was a wood plant that actually took wood, and they made the headboards and hotel furniture. So you were doing double shifts of working literally in the fields, picking tobacco. <laughs> And then I would go to McCamage. I would do the place called Rickards during the day, and then I worked second shift at McCamage. So that was motivating to get the heck out, huh? Yeah. Oh, I was leaving. <laughs> I was leaving one way or another. And what was your duty in the Air Force? I was a personal assistant manager, you know, which is funny. Um, I uh, got into a position where I did know how to figure out things and I could watch uh, you do things once or twice and I, I would pick it up. So while I was in uh, tech school, everybody's computers went out. 
we were having problems with the program that we were using, the typing program, and I figured out how to fix it. And um, I remember the teacher that day. She was like, yeah, I'm going to send you down the hallway for this class. And come to find out, it was a personal system management class, which put me in a whole different career field, as they call it, or AFSC and Air Force than, you know, the typical personnel. And the only reason why I went to personnel is because I was young and the recruiter told me it was eight to one, uh, women to men. So I was like, hey, I'll find me a girlfriend in here. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I actually got married uh, when I was like 21. Um, that was a practice uh, marriage. You know, everybody has those in the military. Anybody in the military, you ask them, most of them, I'll say, yeah, I had a practice marriage. They're either still with their wife or they didn't have a practice one in the beginning. How long were you married? Two years. Yeah, it was short-lived. Um, we made it up here and some trauma from the past and things like that came up. And we both were young. Well, you sound like you have an extremely large network of friends. Are you like the most social person you know? No, actually, I don't like being around people that much. Funny, <laughs> you know, funny. You're like the extroverted introvert. Yeah, I like to go out and meet people and conversate and things like that. But I, I usually move for as far away from where I work at as I possibly could. Uh, I live in Clinton, work in Columbia. So I don't, you know, I drive up there, you know, often, but I just don't like seeing people that I work with after work. You know, I'll go out, you know, at times and I, I kind of force myself to do it because I know it has to be done. And um, when I worked at Booz Allen, that's what really kind of brought me out of it. And then I became a party promoter in the D.C. area for a while. I did, you know, did really well. This is when you're single. Uh, yeah, this was definitely when I was single. <laughs> what clubs did you promote? There was one called uh, Zanzibar Park at 14th. Um, there was one called Muse Lounge, which was across from the uh, Verizon Center, Capital One Arena, whatever you want to call it. We did a lot of little small clubs as well when I kind of did my own thing. But, uh, you know, I've had, you know, a couple of networking events and stuff like that. I actually had a meeting yesterday about one that I'm doing uh, in Odington soon to kind of bring industry together because Angie called me out and said, oh, I didn't get an invite to your... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm sorry, Angie. I said, I just put it out there and I didn't know, you know, <laughs> if people were really going to come or not, because I did one right at the beginning of COVID and like right before it started in February. And I mean, it really, I mean, it was a nice crowd, nice get together and things like that. It was just a happy hour event. I just kept posting it on Eventbrite and things like that. And Eventbrite actually brought in like a good 20, 30 people outside of my network. So it was, it was really great. What was the theme of this happy hour? Just old-fashioned networking, getting out and actually talking to each other. And, you know, um, I run a consortium, so I bought my whole consortium out to meet. And I had contracting officers from uh, all over the area, really, that I didn't even know were contracting officers. I just thought they were my friends. But, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm a contracting <laughs> officer. I'm like, well, here all this time. What's the consortium? You just, like, dropped that bomb. You are like an onion, man. It's like, uh, by the way, this is going to be a normal length podcast, so uh, we might have to save some topics for later. <laughs> but man, you got a lot going. Have you ever worked a single job? Have you always had multiple jobs? Even when I was in the Air Force, I play, I worked at Subway. I was a manager at Subway <laughs> right outside the gate. <laughs> I was... <laughs> Possible. Uh, I I figured out a way. I uh, I ran uh, the subway on Airbase Boulevard for like mm, like almost a year. So, what is this consortium that you've got going? Oh, so the consortium is uh, a group of small businesses uh, with different social economic statuses that we all came together and uh, decided, you know, we would share resources. So if you found a recruiter that was really well, you know, we would all use that recruiter. I've bought uh, bankers to the table to talk about the PPP loan that helped a lot of our folks get uh, loans and talk to people about what they needed to do to get loans. I've also helped them get state loans and stuff like that. You know, the state grants and loans that were out there during COVID. And um, I'm happy to say that all of our businesses have the shutdown and things like that due to, I'm not going to say my due diligence, but the people around me and the opportunities I had um, from being in 
the SBA Emerging Leaders Program. I utilize a lot of those uh, connections to actually go back and help us with everything that we need. So it's basically a community of companies working together. And we don't have to work on the same project or anything like that. But if you need something and you need some reach back, then, you know, it's kind of like I reach out to you to ask you, can you review this proposal for me or something like that? And we've all been taking care of each other since. Are they all government contracting companies? Yes, they are. Some companies do state and local, some all the way up to, you know, our level uh, working at the agency. And I think you know a few of those folks. It's called Maryland Strategic Growth, and we just push each other like no other. Somehow I became the leader. I don't know how that happened. Is it a nonprofit founded with the government or just a group of essentially people and friends? Yeah, it's just a pure group. How do you share the information? Is it email? We have weekly meetings. If we need to get on a call because something's changed or something happened, you know, somebody needs some help or anything like that, you know, we'll get on a call. We, you know, we have uh, quarterly calls and we'll, you know, just talk, check in, make sure everybody's good and we just go. How did it come about? We were all looking at each other. Um, you know, it was a lot of people that I knew and met either through the Emergent Leaders class, through the uh, VIP Grow class. I helped a lot of people get into VIP Grow with Barbara Ash, which is the Veterans Institute for Procurement. And, you know, they kept in touch. And, you know, because I helped them with certain things, they're like, hey, man, you know, let's all uh, get together. And I tried to bring everybody together. You know, a lot of people go after contracts together. I'm working on CIO SP4 for like two companies. So I'm getting beat to death with past performance. I've been added to a couple of DIA contracts and many other things. And we all go to conferences together and, you know, we work the floor and, you know, see who we can meet and go from there. But yeah, it's a great group. How many people are in it? It's like 12 to 13 companies. So you're the one uh, setting up the meetings and running it? Yeah, for the most part. It's not one of the things that I want to do, but, you know, I do it because I really feel like, if anybody isn't going to step up, then, you know, uh, if not me, then who? Once I had a meeting at DISA and I slammed my hand on the table and I was like, this is American engineering. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, really, like, you know, one thing that bothers me right now is this belief that we have to look to Silicon Valley to save us versus assuming that we have our own brilliance or need a culture. Right. And they have a certain culture and environment, which is motivated by different things. We've had so many amazing things come out of American engineering. We have to stop looking and out of the Department of Defense because there was that critical need and, and mission. You are married with how many kids? Two. How old are your children? Six and 15. Do you work 24-7? Yes and no. Um, Do you sleep with I one eye open? Yeah, but that's the, mil that's the military in me. I try to give them as much time as I can, you know, and sometimes I am tired or pooped or whatever, but you, you got to have that energy for that six-year-old. When you walk through the door, he still wants his daddy time, so he'll play until he passes out. So I'll work till I pass out sometimes. How do you make sure that you're still a good husband? I do particularly what I can to show appreciation because, you know, a lot of times she is stuck here at the house, you know, having to do things for the kids and take care of the house. But a lot of times I just try to make sure that everybody is, you know, is taken care of. And sometimes I fail. I'm not going to lie. But I try my best, you know, and sometimes she shows appreciation for me, at least trying. If I send flowers or I might show up to the house, uh, back up at the house with breakfast in the mornings or something like that before I leave out just to kind of show everybody that, hey, you know, daddy's still in play, but I know I'm busy, but just understand that, you know, I'm still around and, you know, I'm sorry that things are kind of hectic at times and they do get hectic. And then I have my down periods where they're not. So you do have down periods. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they're very, very short. <laughs> what do you do to make sure you're a good dad? I just try to be there for him. Uh, you know, we, we have conversations, even with my uh, youngest. 
you would be amazed at some of the conversations we have with a six-year-old. You know, my 15-year-old, she's me with sarcasm, so we joke a lot. But she knows the, the line, not the cross. Is she funnier than you? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, she makes me feel old sometimes. <laughs> have you done a TikTok video with her? No, uh, I walked in on her doing one, like dancing, and I started dancing, and she erased it. You know, <laughs> not <laughs> cool like, enough? No, she just said, you can't dance. You can't dance. I was like, well, it would have been cool, you know. And we might have made some money off of that one. She was like, no, no, I don't want you in my TikTok. What do you think the secret to success is, Roy? Uh, I want to say being relentless and understanding that, you know, there's no escalator, there's no elevator, <laughs> you know, there's no catapult or anything like that to the top. You have to take the stairs. I tell a lot of people that when they ask me, you know, what do they need to do and all that? I know you get those questions, too. You know, everybody wants to start a business until they really figure out how much work it is and things like that. I, I can promise you I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I really feel like it's just being uh, driven, having a why, you know, having something that's bigger and greater than you. That's going to push you through it because there are days that I, I ain't going to lie. I probably wanted to quit about 200,000 times. But somehow I'm still here. And I, I think that's my why, my kids, you know, my family, you know, and how many kids behind me that I've inspired to get their own business or even get a job to do things in a different direction, getting that exposure. If you look back on your life so far, so you are how old? I am 40 now. Oh, you're a baby. You're only 40. You just turned 40. Well, this year, let me give you a caveat. So I'm 39 right now because last year was a leap year. We don't count last year. So I said that we're doing, uh, you know, 40 over again. So officially this year, me, I'm self-identifying that me and my wife are the same age. Uh, <laughs> so people usually laugh at that, but I'm so serious about that. Uh, why are you so serious about the fact that you're self-identifying as 40 this year? Because, I mean, I didn't get to celebrate my birthday last year. Everything was closed. What did we do? We grub-hubbed some food here at the house, had a couple drinks, and, you know, I went to bed. So what's this year entail? We're doing a trip for my wife, and I were going to Vegas. Her and I have never been to Vegas together. Uh, you know, she's been on girls' trips. I've been on, uh, you know, my homeboys' trips and, and of course, work trips. So we're going to try to do it together. And is she golfing with you? No, she's not. She's got a spa package and things like okay. that. She's going to uh, utilize. I uh, I had a lot of extra points from when I won an award back in 2014, 2015 that I had to use uh, that were going to expire. We're going to utilize that and hang out there. How fun. Now she's got to buy some outfits for it. Yeah, yeah. She's. We're trying to get through this uh, our Cancun trip first. So. Oh, rough. Rough life. Yeah, I know, right? Well, we haven't taken a vacation in three years, so we'll finally get one. Are you taking the kids to Cancun? Oh, no. That's going <laughs> if you could go back and do anything differently, what would you do? I would say that I would have prepared for this a lot earlier because I knew what I wanted to do and I know what I love to do, but I would have prepared for entrepreneurship earlier. I mean, I started my own business when I was in the military, but I didn't go about it the right way. And if I could go back, you know, I would have geared my business in a different direction and probably been a little more lucrative than what I already am. What was it that you did that you wish you hadn't? What was the business that you started? I was uh, loading antivirus on people's workstations back in 2004, 2005. And I had white PC enterprises that uh, I had registered as a business and things like that. I would go out to my constituents in the military and uh, I would load the antivirus under their uh, computers, their home computers and laptops or the military laptops and things and make money for doing it. Well, that's the first part of CMMC. Antivirus. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm dealing with that uh, a whole lot now. Is there a book that you've read that's made a really big impact on you, either personally or professionally? I would have to say Empty the Bucket by Inky Johnson. 
And it's basically about the quote Les Brown has of live full and die empty. Every day, Inky talks about the fact that a matter of giving your all to each day because the people around you deserve the best version of you and being the best version of yourself, of trying to find a way to strive to be the best version of yourself uh, each day. So he broke down a lot of stories. Um, he even has one in there about Kevin Hart and how uh, Kevin kept calling his mom about you know the rent. She kept telling him to open the Bible. And when he finally opened the Bible, it was six months of rent already in the Bible. His mom left in different chapters of the Bible, you know, uh, the rent and things like that. So it's just about the basis of being very strong and driven, you know, for your why and doing what you really love, but you really have to leave it all on the table. So emptying the bucket each day means giving each day your all because, you know, you would do it if you had one week to live or, you know, one month to live or one year to live. So why not give it your all? How old were you when you read this book? I read this about maybe three or four years ago, uh, but it was very influential. It, it kind of opened my eyes. You know, I don't know if you've ever listened to something or read something and be like, damn, that's me. That's really me. Like, that's how I feel. Yeah, I was going to say, did you feel like that's who you already are, that it captured, put a name to something that you already were living like? Yeah, it, it really built a, a mindset to me like, yo, this is really who you are, how you work and, you know, things like that. And I had a, a few calls with my old supervisor, uh, Chief Turner, Nate Turner. I spoke about him earlier. You know, he was like, yeah, that sounds like you, Graham. That sounds exactly like you, man. You know, that's exactly who you are. We We have a lot of great conversations about you know the books that i read and things like that he asks all the time what book do i read and um i I think meeting eric thomas for the first time i met him back in 2015 he gave me tickets uh free tickets to come and see him um because i missed the first one because my mom passed away uh that monday and i was supposed to go that weekend and i met him and you know we talked and i'm on a couple of the thank god it's monday youtube videos that he has you are yeah, you'll see me in the uh, the beginning when, you know, they're doing the little pictures and all that stuff. He was here in Bowie and I actually got on the podcast. They gave me VIP tickets, which were about $500 a piece, but he gave them to me for free just because uh, I had missed the first one and I sent the, uh, another kid in my place. Uh, you know, I couldn't attend, of course. I had to bury my mother that morning. And they called me back when he came back out here in August and it was a very exclusive event. And I got the meeting and sit front row of the, uh, the whole speech. And I got to have dinner and well, lunch. It was like a midday lunch with him and all that stuff. So it was really cool. This is someone you've been listening to how many years before you met him? About four or five years. I started listening to him about 2011 and uh, I met him in 2015. And, and, you know, it was it was a great experience because he was so humble, but you got value out of the conversation one way or another. And it was like he did it with everybody in the room. There was probably about another 20 people in the room, but everybody got equal amount of time. But he did it in a way where you just kind of opened up and you talked about certain things and you all talked and he would give you like two or three nuggets to think about. And then, you know, he would go on to the next person. One he gave me was make sure that your foundation, your family foundation, you know, is, you know, the highlight of your life. And I have to say they really are. I don't give them as enough time as I should, but when I do come in this house, you know, it's good to feel welcome. You know, it's not like I'm the boss. So everybody gets quiet type thing. It's more so like we love you and having that little boy run up to you and give you a hug. Like he, he missed you every day and getting that same energy. I try to give that same energy back to them. Now you have such drive that you typically don't see in most people. Do you have a mentor or someone that you really look up to? to follow? I look up to a couple people in the industry. Mike Greer, I talked to from Mosaic. I talk to him often. He gives a lot of great advice when I talk to him. I met him in 2013 and uh, the relationship has always been, I can text him at any time and he, you know, he'll give me feedback. Hey, what should I do about this? Or what should I do about that? So he's been very instrumental. Angie uh, Liner from Intelligenesis has always been a great source of information and things like that because there are people that already have done what I've done 
And, you know, what better way to talk to somebody that's been through, you know, or fighting the war or actually been through something similar to what you've been through and getting that advice rather than trying to make the decision on your own has been very instrumental in my success. So you're only 40. (laughs) (laughs) We'll go with that. You're only 40. Now, what's left ahead of you? You've done so much already. What do you still have left to do? Impact. I work with another nonprofit called Mentoring Mentors. Um, I, I just love the impact that I leave on other little kids. I've been, uh, you know, a basketball coach, football coach for about 10 to 12 years. I took a break and it looks like I'm going to be getting back into it soon because my son is, you know, really hot and heavy with golf and he wants to play basketball. So it seems like I'll be back into it. But that's uh, what I want to do is just leave an impact and a legacy for, you know, my kids. I want someone to be like, because of what your father did, I'm going to help you out and things like that. So um, that's been my goal. It's not a dollar amount? No, it's not about a dollar amount. If it was about a dollar amount, I would give up a lot easier. And I think a lot of people would. When you put a dollar behind it, I think it's convoluted with either you get it or you don't. But when it's kind of a principle behind it, something that's deeper than the materialistic part of having money, that's when you get the value and the promise that you have, uh, the drive to want to get. So whatever you do, you do it to the best of your ability because that point drives you a little more than the dollar because you can get money uh, doing anything. But can you sustain it? And I think a lot of people forget about, you know, those days when you want to quit and, you know, what gets you past that? Because the dollar won't, especially if it's not coming in. What makes you want to quit sometimes? I think it's more the opposition you deal with a lot of trauma and issues as a young black entrepreneur. I feel like you run into a lot of different um, oppositions where people don't want to deal with you and things like that. And you're like, well, why am I doing this again? And you have to question yourself. And like I said, you have to dig something deeper than the dollar because the dollar is not. (laughs) That's just like, uh, you know, going after that dandelion or that bubble because, you know, a dollar is just like a bubble. You know, it can pop and disappear at any time because something may come up that you may need to pay for or whatever. But if you're pushing for something that's a lot more than that that gets you past those times that you want to quit. So it becomes just a thought until you look back at what your why is and keep pushing. Yeah. Last night I wanted to quit. Um, (laughs) You know, nothing that bad had happened. And logically I was just like, oh, well, you know, this is normal. We'll, we'll deal with this. It'll be okay. This is kind of a, a blip. You know, this is normal part of business, but I was tired, you know? Yeah. You're tired. You did everything all day long. You're still doing it. And it's like, rest, don't quit. Uh And that's part of emptying the bucket, right? I mean, giving your day, you're all people around you, you're all, I mean, you're a great person in your own right. And you have a lot to give others. But if you're not giving people the best version of you, then what are you giving? Before we go, tell us something about yourself that might surprise us. I actually don't like public speaking or anything like that or doing these things, but I I do. (laughs) I get uncomfortable sometimes because I think people look at me and think it's been easy. Like they only see the good things. They don't see me like crying in the car or like to a friend, right? Or (laughs) picking myself up or texting and going and hiding for a minute, picking yourself back up. Wishing you could disappear for a day or two. Yeah. And come back. Gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember I took one morning off just to like clean up my finances and uh, like clean up all the subscriptions. Mm-hmm. That was like a highlight for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I had a minute and that was like, oh, that was a good morning. <laughs> a lot of people don't understand. They just see you for the present and what they see in you now. But they don't understand the, you know, the strive, the sacrifice, the drive that you have to have to get all of this done. That's the reason why a lot of times, you know, when people come to me and they ask for my uh, mentorship or help, uh, what I normally do is I ask them to meet me at the gym that mo- that next morning. And you, you can tell or you can weed out the ones that really want it and ones that really don't because 345 is a commitment. You know, meet me at the gym that early in the morning is a commitment. 
but it's the fact of the matter of do I have the time to help someone else if they're not committed? Because it's a waste of my time too. Sometimes having really good mentors is also a sign that you're worth the energy because not that you don't want to help everybody, but you only have so much time to really help people at a one-on-one level. Yes. And people want to help someone where they feel like their advice is not falling on deaf ears. But everybody wants to feel valued. There's really not disagreements. It's just people want to be heard and being heard is, you know, more the forgiveness and, you know, than a simple apology or anything like that. It's just being heard and, you know, and reconciling saying, hey, you know, Shana, this is how I felt. And you say, well, hey, this is how I felt. Okay, well, now that we know that we both felt that way in the moment, you know, the context is lost because we both kind of get more emotionally involved than others. And then you mistake emotion for passion. And I think I'm very passionate about what I do. One of the things that uh, Chief Turner always told me, he was like, if you're going to put your name on it, it better be your damn best work. And I I really live and die by that. I'm not going to put anything past you that's not 120%. If I can't give it my all, I'm, there's no sense in me doing it. Why does he call you Greyhound? Um, he calls everybody Greyhound. <laughs> Anybody younger than him, he calls us a Greyhound saying that, you know, we can run fast and things like that and go a lot faster than uh, a lot of others. Before we go, what ask do you have for the audience? And maybe it's not an ask, but if people are going to come to you after this, why would they come to you slash independent software? My ask personally is just to understand that what we do isn't a walk in the park. A lot of people approach us saying they want this and they want that, but they don't want what, you know, they don't want the troubles behind it. You know, they want the goodness. And I think a lot of people have that preconceived notion that, you know, just like you said earlier, that we have it all together and we have things in order just because we're running a business. But, you know, there's a lot of hard nights and things like that, that people don't see. Just like you said, you wanted to quit last night. I probably wanted to quit three times last week, especially with all of these proposals dropping at the same time. Uh, <laughs> as far as the company, doing your research about who you work with and uh, the companies, don't just get on a team uh, you know, to go after an opportunity. Really do your research to build who you want your company and your brand to be. I think a lot of people forget about the brand part and just want to be an entrepreneur, but you have to build a brand. And if you don't, and I know you're a brand ambassador of your company, just like I'm a brand ambassador of mine, but you know, we both uh, find a way to reinvent ourselves and make sure that our company stays on the forefront of, you know, innovation and technology and doing what we do best as far as the public eye. I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I did too. Thank you. And I'm so grateful you did it twice. (laughs) We had technical issues and we did it twice. And now it's 8 a.m. And you got your drive to Chantilly. I know. Pray for me because I'm probably going to cuss out about 30 people. You got to put something good on to listen to. Maybe some of the outspoken podcasts. Well, thank you so much, Roy. I hope you have a fabulous day and uh, that I'll see you in real life soon. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, let's set up something that, you know, grab some lunch or a happy hour or whatever. Drinks on me. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Please be sure to share it with friends and family. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn under the Outspoken Podcast. Thanks again and chin up, heads up, eyes forward.